Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, fill this place with your presence. Amen? Amen. Today is the global day of prayer. And uh, better fix my pulpit before it falls over. There we go. And so why don't we start with prayer this morning. Father, we come before you today, and we uh, have come into your presence expectantly. Lord, this is the day of Pentecost, the day that you poured out your spirit in the church that we celebrate together. And Lord, we've been praying, we've been asking, and we are coming today with an expectancy that we would meet with the living God here in this place. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come. Come, Holy Spirit. We're waiting for you. Holy Spirit, come and fill me that I might speak your words with power and truth. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill your congregation so that they might hear your word to them this morning, to us. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. Come and fill this place, dear Lord Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Global Day of Prayer is a day set aside all around the globe to pray for the globe. The idea is that we want to pray for the people of this world. We know that God loves this world, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's heart is for this world. And he longs for it. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all be brought to repentance. And so God has always had this attitude towards people. Now, sometimes when we look at the Old Testament, we think, you know, it seems like God is just interested in the Israelites. Doesn't seem to give a rip about all the other people in the world. Like, what's with that? Has God, did God change when the New Testament came? Or did God not care about all those people? I believe God cared. And we see it all through the Old Testament that God cared for people who were not the children of Israel. God cared about the, the Gentiles. In fact, what we see is many, many people intersecting with the story of the Israelites. Sure, the, the Old Testament is, is mostly about the story from, from Genesis 12 on. It's about the story of God working with his chosen people, the Israelites. But oftentimes, the story intersects with other people who are believers, we don't know anything about them. The Bible doesn't stop to tell us the story of the believers in Babylon. It doesn't stop to tell us about where in the world Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, where, where did he come from? He wasn't an Israelite, but he sure knew who God was. Abraham himself knew who God was. God chose to reveal himself to many people. Uh, um, what's his name? Balaam was from Mesopotamia. How did he find out about God? Who knows? But he seemed to have a relationship with God. You see, God is able to reveal himself to whomever uh, he chooses. And I believe God has down through the ages revealed himself to people all around the globe. And those people who were reaching out and seeking him. Paul says that, that, um, that God can be seen through creation, through what's been made. And, and people can reach out for God. And I believe that when people do that, God reaches out to them. 
and they connect with God. And that's why we have Caleb. You remember Caleb, one of the, the mighty men, the, one of the 12 spies who went to spy out the land and became a, a great warrior in the kingdom of Israel? Well, he was a, uh, a uh, Kenizzite. A Kenizzite is one of the Canaanite tribes, but that's who he was. Uh, you remember Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute. She had faith in God. Do you remember Ruth, the Moabitess? She also became a believer and, and was incorporated. And, and these two women are actually noted in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then there's Uriah the Hittite. You remember him? He's the guy that, that King David had killed so that he could, you know, have his wife, Bathsheba. Well, they're Hittites. They're not part of God's chosen people, but they knew who God was. And then there's Othniel, Shamgar, Jael, Obed-Eben. You remember the queen of, e of Sheba? She came looking, seeking God. You remember the widow of Zareph that fed Elijah during the, the famine in the land? Do you remember Naaman, the Amorite, who came to Israel to get, um, to get healed of illnesses? And he said, can I take some earth back with me so that I can worship God in my own country? And he took some earth from Israelite and hauled it back so he could worship God. And where in the world did the wise men come from? I mean... Who were these guys? But it seems like they had intimate knowledge of who, Jesus, who God was and that God was going to send a king to Israel. And they seemed to understand all these things. So I believe that God had people all around the globe and even people who have never heard the name of Christ possibly could be saved because God could reveal himself to them. Uh, you remember Pastor Jacques a couple weeks ago talked about the, the sailors Remember the, the sailors? They cried out to the Lord. Don't hold this against us when we throw Jonah into the sea. You know They knew they were killing him. And, and, uh, and when the water grew calm, look what it says. They, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They became believers because they saw God in action. And then, of course, there was the people of Nineveh when Jonah finally gets to Nineveh and he goes around preaching to the people there. And uh, remember at the end of the book of, of, of Jonah? Look what it says. This is powerful. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right hand or the right hand from the left? God has compassion, even on Ninevites. It was a, a Syrian country, completely, Jonah wanted them wiped out. He's like, those guys are completely against Israel. I don't want anything to do with them. And I certainly don't want to give them a message so that they might have a chance to repent and then get saved. But God's not like, no, they don't know. Nobody's gone to tell them. I care about those 120,000 people. They don't know whether, you know, what, what's right, what's wrong. And you know, in our world today, there are billions of people who don't know. They don't know the difference between morality and immorality. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. And you know, the, remember that verse we said right at the beginning? The Lord is unwilling that any should perish. It's God's desire that he save people. It's his heartbeat. God's always been concerned of the people of the earth. 
But that really comes into sharp focus with the dawning of the kingdom of God. With the coming of the, the new covenant, which is in the blood of Christ, that whole desire of God for the nations gets really sharpened. You see, in the Old Testament, God chose his chosen people to be an example to the nations. And he was, he, what he wanted was, these people will obey me and love me, and then everybody will see how blessed these people are, and people will go like, wow, that's amazing, I want to be part of that. And there are many who converted to Judaism just for that reason. But the Israelites failed so many times in obeying and honoring God that God often didn't bless them. And oftentimes, God cursed them, sent them off into slavery and all kinds of things. And so when God brought the new covenant, he opened the doors wide open. He said, this is for every nation on earth. And Jesus said, right at the end of his ministry, after, during his ministry, he said, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But at the end of his ministry, he said to the, the apostles, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, get going, get out there and get it done. And uh, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish. That's his heartbeat. He wants people saved. And so, the, that, so he sent the disciples to go out and win people to Christ from around the globe. And remember, today is Pentecost Sunday. God didn't pour out his spirit on the apostles at just any old time. God waited 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days. No, not yet, not yet. Jesus goes up into heaven. God waits, God waits. And then on the day of Pentecost, when, when the city of Jerusalem is filled with God-fearing Jews from all over the world, that's when God sends his Holy Spirit. Why? Because God has a heart for those people who are all over the world. God has a heart for all those people. Look at it. Uh, Perthians, Medes, Emilites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Uh, well, I can't finish what's not there. <laughs> Why did God do that? Why did he choose that moment to to pour out his spirit because God has a heart for the world and God is not willing that any should perish. And so he wanted the message to get out right away from the first day, the day the church started, boom, 3,000 people are converted and they go back to their countries all over the world and the gospel fans out. Woo, way God, he's getting it done and people are coming to know the Lord. And the disciples, they didn't quite get it. They're like, oh, We'll just go to the Jews. You know, we'll head to the synagogues. So what does God do? He sends a persecution on the church right away. And they're off. Oh, oh can't stay in Jerusalem. They go running off into all different directions. Why? So that the gospel will go out there. But as they go, a lot of them just go to the Jewish synagogues. And God's like, oh, got to do something, shake these people up. So finally, he sends an angel to Cornelius, tells him, go, get, go send someone to, to get, get Peter. And Peter, he, he's one of the worst. I mean, he's just preaching to the Jews. And Jesus, Jesus had told Peter, you know, go into all the nations, along with all the other disciples. Jesus has said, you will be filled with power from on high, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All the disciples, they all knew this stuff. 
but they weren't doing it. So finally, God's got to get Peter. Peter's really feeling hungry, and God sends his sheet down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals in it and says, rise and eat. And Peter's like, whoa, no, I'll, I'll never eat anything unclean. And the voice says, don't call unclean what God has made clean. Peter doesn't understand. The vision happens three times. And just when the vision is finally done, there's a knock on the door. The messenger's from Cornelius, the Gentile. Come and come over to our house. The, our master's seen a, a vision. And Peter goes, oh, finally it clicks. Finally he realizes that God wants him to go to this Gentile's house. And that's what all the vision was all about. So off he goes. He goes to the Gentile house, comes in, starts preaching the word. And while he's preaching, all of a sudden, kaboom, the Holy Spirit comes. And all the people start speaking in tongues and prophesying and doing all this stuff. And Peter's like, what? After he preached the gospel, what had happened? And God was saying, look, Peter, get it through your thick skull. I want these people to be saved. You know, God is like, I don't want anybody to perish. It includes the Gentiles. And finally, Peter gets it. And he goes, oh, God wants us to go to all nations. Oh, God wants us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Oh, get it. <laughs> finally, the church pulls alongside and, and they start doing the same thing. And they start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Lord is not willing that any should perish. And if you look at the end of the book, in the, in the book of Revelations, it says we've, it's referring to the nations of the earth 22 times in the book of Revelations. It talks about the nations being one to the kingdom. And, you know, over and over again, John says, every tribe, language, people, and nation. And from every tribe, tribe nation, tribe, people, and language, and on and on. You can see it over and over again. It's talking about all the people from all over the earth. They're the ones that are in the kingdom of heaven. What an awesome time. It's not going to be like the International Community of Alliance Churches. We got, you know, five, six, seven groups here. We're going to have people and, and about 40 nations here. Oh, we're going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of nations represented around the throne of God, worshiping God. We're going to be united with them, and we will be one people in Christ. Amen. <laughs> so, some people are catching the excitement. God is excited. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Catch the vision. Uh, the, the Revelation says, with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Revelation 7, 9 says, a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. Revelation 15, 4, all the nations will come and worship before you. And guess what, folks? It's happening. The gospel started as a tiny little group of 12, maybe 120 people in Jerusalem. And then it started to spread. Hope you can see this. It's not very bright. But this map represents the evangelicals in the world. And the gospel is spreading. But I want you to notice that around Jerusalem, it's pretty dark. Around the Middle East, it's pretty dark. I want you to notice up in Upper Canada, it's pretty... Oh, yeah, there's nobody living there. Uh, <laughs> upper Africa, 
It's pretty black. Yeah, sure, there's Sahara Desert right there in the middle. But there's all kinds of nations right along the Mediterranean. And there is very few evangelicals. We have a job to do. Yes, the world is being covered with Christianity. Yes, the gospel is spreading. Do you know that when, when the gospel started, it was like one in a, in a, in a 100,000 or 100 million or so Christians to non-believers? And slowly on through the ages, that, that percentage became greater and greater and greater until today, we represent almost one-third of the people on this globe. 2.3 billion people name the name of Christ. 2.3 billion people consider themselves Christians. Now, this is a lot smaller. This is about um, less than a billion, I think, who are evangelical. They're the ones who are promoting the gospel. They're the ones that are growing the church. And uh, you'll notice some of these areas where... where uh, uh, what's that little nation down there? Australia and New Zealand, yes. New Zealand's quite, and, and uh, Indonesia. You think that Indonesia is a, a, a Muslim country? No, look at it. It's bright. You think, look over up there in uh, South Korea. Brilliant, brightest spot in the globe. <laughs> There's more, more Christians in South Korea than per, cap, per uh, population than anywhere else. But I looked this up today. These are current figures, what I'm going to show you next. Do you know where the gospel of Christ is expanding the quickest? I bet you have no idea. It's in Iran. Iran? Look at these countries. Iran. 20% of the Christian is, is multiplying by a fifth every year, the group. <laughs> Afghanistan. Algeria, Somalia, Mongolia, Kuwait, Tajikistan. These are the fastest growing Christian populations in the world. What do you notice about this list? It defies logic. These are, these are Muslim countries, and they're coming to know the Lord. The Lord is doing a new work. He's spreading the gospel in this world, and his work is being accomplished. Amen? Amen. God is doing a new thing. Most of these countries, they're war-torn. God is ripping apart the countries so that he can inject his gospel. And the gospel is spreading in these countries. God is shaking things up. And today, we set aside time to pray for this job, to pray for this world that doesn't know Christ. There are still, sure, there's 2.3 billion people that know Christ or have at least heard of him, or have some connection to him. But that means there are, let me see, do the math, 4.7 billion people who don't know Christ, who have either rejected him or never heard of him. That's a huge job. And Jesus Christ still has the same message. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Are you up for the task? Yeah, a few of you are. Most of you are like, oh, I don't know. Sounds like a big job. Well, today's the day of prayer. So what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to take the next five minutes or maybe a little bit longer and just pray for our world. 
And so what I'd like you to do, just stand up where you are and say with a loud voice a prayer for a nation somewhere in this world. Pray for a people group. Pray for a missionary you know. Pray that the gospel message would go out. As on this global day of prayer, let's be in prayer. And so uh, maybe, maybe I'll start with a, a prayer for Holland. So it's a country where my ancestors came from. And then, uh, and then anyone who would like, just you can either stand up or stay seated, but just call it out. But do talk with a loud voice. It's hard to hear you when you don't have one of these, you know. Uh, but I'm not going to pass the mic around. It takes too long. So let's pray. Lord, we pray for the uh, Asia, Lord. All the, the land between Israel and China. Lord, it's so dark there. And there's... The greatest populations of the world live there. And so, Lord, we pray that you would send your people and send the message. And I pray that your spirit would come and speak to people and that people would know the Lord Jesus Christ and they would come to faith in you. And, Lord, I pray that the gospel would go right around the globe from Jerusalem to Europe to, to North America to uh, Asia. And now, Lord, we pray that you would send it right across Asia to, uh, back to Jerusalem. And so, Father, we pray for this whole world that your name would be glorified and that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying. I pray that you will continue to pray. Um, you know, it's interesting that God has a plan to reach these nations. And Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, he made that plan by, by getting 12 disciples. And he pumped into them everything he was. And they became his plan to reach the world. Those 12 reached 120, 120, 3,000, 3,000, thousands, thousands, millions, millions, billions. And that's the way it worked. He has a plan. And you know what? His plan to reach the world starts with people. His people starts with you and me. We are Christ's plan to reach this world. Now, uh, in, the, in the last few hundred years, the church has realized that it had to send missionaries out. And for hundreds of years, the church didn't send any missionaries out. Sure, at the beginning, missionaries went all over the place. But then slowly on into the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages and, and in, right into the, the, the 1600s, 1700s, no missionaries were being sent. People were not going out. Finally, in the 1800s, people started going out. Missionaries were sent all over the globe, and millions and millions of people were saved for Jesus Christ. But do you know what? Missionaries don't uh, reach as many people as the people of God do. Missionaries is one person. Let me illustrate. How many of you were brought to Christ through a missionary? Put your hand up. One, two. Two people directly by a missionary. Three people directly by a missionary. How many of you were led to Christ directly by a pastor? Put up your hand. Okay. Okay, about 10, 15. Yay, my profession is not too slacking. <laughs> okay, how many were led to Christ by a non-professional? Either yourself or... Put up your hands. Hold them up high. Look around you, folks. This is what I'm talking about. It's the non-professional Christians that are winning the loss to the Lord. You're all a testimony of that. 
It's not the pastors or the missionaries that are winning people to the Lord. It's the church that's winning people to the Lord. And Jesus Christ has put the emphasis on you guys to get the job done. We are his emissaries. We are his people. And uh, we and, and thank goodness some pastors actually lead some people to the Lord. <laughs> We're thankful for that. But really, the majority of people around the globe are led to Christ, not by missionaries and pastors, but by church congregants just like yourself, who, they're, who talk about Christ to their families, who talk about Christ to their friends, who witness to their neighbors. That's how God is reaching the world. That's how the nations are being one to Christ. And you know what? God is, he, I think God got tired of waiting for Canadians to go around the globe. So what did God do? He started bringing the nations here, exactly. He started bringing them here. Look, look what the Bible says. God made the world and everything in it. From one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And, that the, and, and he determined the set times for them and the exact places where they should live. Do you know that God has determined that your... Uh, a uh, Turkish neighbor should live beside you? Do you know that God has determined that your Afghani worker at your, your workplace, God put him there beside you? Why? Oh, look, it goes on. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. God is putting the nations next to us, folks, and God's heart is for those nations and God desires that none should perish. And he's sending them your way and my way and putting them next to us in our, in our colleges, in our, in our high schools, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, in our, on our streets, in our neighborhoods. And God is bringing them all over here. And he's saying, now do your work. This is what I called you to do. This is what I'm talking about, being light of the world. Now Jesus told this little story about a sower who went to sow seeds. And he sowed some seeds and it fell on a pathway and the birds of the air came along and they ate them up. And he sowed some seeds and it fell among the, the weeds and the weeds choked them out. And he sowed some seeds uh, on the shallow ground and they sprang up real quick and, but then the sun came and beat them down and, the, and they died. But the sower sowed some seed on good soil. Have you been sowing some seed on good soil? And then it says, and they reaped a harvest, some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. What I want you to notice about this and about wheat is there's no twofold. There's no threefold. How's it going in your life? Are you going to bring a sheaf of new believers with you when you come to meet the Lord in glory? Or are you just going to, oh, well, I, I, I led my children to the Lord. That should be good enough. No, God planted the seed in you so that you would produce, so that you would produce fellow believers like you, that, that you would have an impact on this world, that people would be one for Christ. And believe me, when I was a teenager, I took this seriously. I was out there with my youth pastor going door to door, knocking on doors, telling people about Christ. We used to go to Gastown in Vancouver, telling people about Christ. Yeah, nothing happened though. 
What's that? That we know of, yeah. I, I, it was so frustrating going door to door and we'd go into people's houses and, and, you know, it didn't take long to realize that these people are not interested. And it happened over and over and over again. But I kept trying. I did street ministry with a team uh, when I was 19 and we would share Christ with people and uh, I did all kinds of things. I was passionate about it because I had heard the call. Uh, I remember going to Camp Kakwa as a camp counselor, and I thought, oh, children, I can, I can lead them to Christ, surely. And I remember hearing the stories at when we would have staff meeting. Oh, yeah, you know, camp counselor would say, oh, I led these two kids to the Lord. It was so exciting. And, and this other camp counselor, you know, oh, yeah, I led my five children to the Lord. It was so exciting. And I'm like, Lord, give me one. Just give me one. You know, and I would try, and, uh, you know, it just wasn't working. I tried and tried. And I remember bringing my foreman at work, I, I thought, okay, you know, he asked a bit about the Bible, so I invited him to church. I invited him to a, 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 a athletes in action event. He came, he ate, ate, and listened to the presentation, and and then I invited him to church, and he came. You know, and I was so excited. Oh, maybe I'll get my first convent. Somebody else led him to the Lord. Oh, can't believe it. So I went to Bible college. I took evangelism courses, but honestly. I don't remember leading anyone to the Lord before I was in my 20s. I might have, but I don't remember it. And I think I would remember. But I'll tell you this, it wasn't for lack of trying. <laughs> but it was kind of discouraging. I had the Four Spiritual Laws booklet. I had the Bridge, of Christ, Bridge to Life uh, illustration memorized. Uh, I had the Romans road marked out in my Bible, you know, all the different Romans passages that lead to Christ. Um, but no one, or at least very little, to show for it. You see, I didn't know it, but there was something missing in my life. I was trying hard. I was a believer. I wanted to serve Christ, but I knew that I wasn't going, and I'm, I was like, Man, I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> Try as I may, I don't have the gift. This is not happening. But one day, when I was 22 years old, that changed. It just changed. And I'll tell you what happened. I didn't, I didn't, I was filled with the Holy Spirit one day, powerfully. Now, I didn't become a missionary overnight. <laughs> I was still a shy kid. I've always been shy. People think, oh, you're getting in front of people. You're so bold. No, 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 no. I'm a shy person, okay? I'm borderline introvert, you know, or I'm a little below introvert. Um, I never received the gift of evangelism, but I'll tell you something. Now, when I sow the seeds, they bear fruit. Amen? Hey, thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's why Jesus said to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, the Holy Spirit. And then, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then, not before. Jesus didn't want us to waste our time. I don't think it was a waste of time for me to do all those evangelism courses and, and do all that preaching. I believe what it showed, God, was that there was a young man who needed some filling of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's what I think it showed God. And because I was so desirous to do something, 
but nothing was happening that God decided to show up one day and transform this young man and change him. And I believe that God wants to do the same for you. Here's the deal. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, right? And uh, th three weeks ago, I thought to myself, oh, I got to really, I got to include Ephesians 5.18. Uh, you know the verse, uh, do not be drunk with wine, for it is uh, debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, oh, I got to include that because I was preaching on, you know, forgiving and self sacrificing official love, not having even a hint of sexual immorality. And I was preaching on not being greedy and keeping away from vile language. And so I said, man, I, I need to talk about the Holy Spirit because he's the one who empowers us to live like that, to live holy and righteously. But I got to the end of the sermon and there wasn't enough time, so I didn't, I didn't share. I think God knew because he wanted me to share that today. <laughs> and so I want to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And I'm not going to start the message now. We're getting close to the end. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> um, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a powerful statement. God is commanding us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a powerful statement. But... When I think about that, I go like, well, hold it a sec. God sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. God sent the Holy Spirit on the apostles when they were gathered in the, in the room in the basement. Um, after they prayed, the ground was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit on the, on the um, Samaritan believers when they believed in Jesus. God sent the Holy Spirit on Cornelius and his household how are we, how in the world are we supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit when we can't fill ourselves, can we? It's God who does the filling. So I want to unpack this for you. I wanna, we're going to dig into a little bit of English, okay? Sorry for if you flunked out your English 12 class. We're, we're going to work on that right now, okay? Uh, so this verb, be filled is in the present, present tense, imperative mood, passive voice. So the English majors all know exactly what I'm talking about, and everyone else is going, huh? Well, let me unpack this for us, okay? Just, I know I, I didn't do very well in English 12 either. Um, so you receive the, the, what, what a, a, an imperative mood is. An imperative mood is a command. Do this, do that, be filled. Okay, so the, it's a command. But then there's the passive voice. It's not commanding you to fill yourself. It's passive. It means something is being done to you. The boy is hit by the ball. The boy's not hitting the ball. The ball's hitting the boy. Okay, so this verb, it's being done to you. When the filling is done by God. God fills us with the Holy Spirit. But how, how can we be told to do something that somebody else does? That's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, because it's the, pa it's the passive voice, but we're told to get it done. How can you, you know, get the ball to hit you? <laughs> you know, like, how does that work? Uh, well, let me give you an easier concept to understand, okay? So I'm gonna unpack this a little bit for you. Um, 
if I say to my son, as I do often on Sunday morning, brush your teeth. That's an active, that's not passive, that's an active command. So it's an imperative active in the present tense. Okay, so I want him to do it right now, and I want him to get his teeth brushed, right? Now, what if I say to my son, go have your teeth cleaned? What am I saying? What's that? Go to the dentist. Who's doing the cleaning? The hygienist, right? The hygienist is doing the cleaning. But I can command my son to go get his teeth cleaned. Okay, that is an um, imperative passive, okay? Now, he's not actually going to clean his teeth at this point. The hygienist is going to do that. But what's he going to do? He's going to phone up the dental office and say, uh, can I have an appointment? And he's going to make the appointment, and then he's going to go to the appointment. He's going to borrow my car, drive down there, and get the appointment. What's he going to do? He's going to wait in the waiting room until they call his name, and then he's going to go sit in one of these fancy recliners, and then we're going to recline him back, and then he's going to open his mouth. Okay? And then what's going to happen? The, de- the, the hygienist is going to scrape his teeth and scratch his teeth and poke his gums and get some grinding solvent on there and grind those teeth, and then they're going to polish them up and do all kinds of things. Now, did he obey the command? Yeah, he went. But who's doing the work? The hygienist. Right? That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are responsible to get in the right place in order to be filled. We, it's our responsibility, you know, like my son has to phone up the, uh, actually, we usually phone the dentist for him, you know, because, but he's got to go, you got to sit in the chair, you got to do all the steps. And once, it's, once you're all prepared, then someone else does the actual work. Okay? You see the difference between active, go brush your teeth? Now, well, I want to say one more thing. Now, we're going to talk about the, the, the present tense, okay? This is in the present tense. Now, a lot of people make a big deal about this verse and saying, oh, this is a, a present tense, so it implies that this is a continuous action that you have to keep doing it over and over and over. That's absolutely not true, okay? That that's what it implies. Now, it doesn't not imply that, but it doesn't actually imply that. You see, I, I was told once that, it was, that this verse's verb is in the aorist tense, which would, in fact, imply that, that it's something that's done in the past that you have to keep renewing. But actually, it doesn't imply that. You see, it's like when I say, get your teeth brushed or brush your teeth to my son. That's in the present tense. I don't want him to do it tomorrow. I want him to do it now. Because we're going to church and want his breath to smell good, right? So want him to do it. Did you hope you guys did? <laughs> right? So it's in the present tense. So what am I asking him to do? How many times am I asking him to brush his teeth? Once. But when the hygienist is finished cleaning his teeth and she says the exact same words, brush your teeth, what is she saying? Do it all the time, okay? So it's context that determines whether it refers to do it once or do it all the, all the time. It's, it's a um, present tense imperative mood. And so what, what that means is it's just, it's just now. Do it now. 
And it can mean both those things. It can mean once, get it done once, or it can mean, you know, do it many times. Keep doing it over and over and over. And that's why in the Christian Missionary Alliance, we say that the filling of the Holy Spirit is both a distinct event and a, what do we, continue, what do we say? <laughs> progressive, thank you. Somebody's been studying the chorus. <laughs> I, I recognize that voice. A progressive experience, thank you, Augusto. He just took the Alliance History and Thought class. A progressive experience. Okay, so it's a distinct event. Boom, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Boom, that's a distinct event. That's a one-time experience. But the disciples were filled over and over again. If you look through the book of Acts, you'll see that the Holy Spirit filled them to do specific things over and over. And you kind of get confused. Well, is it a one-time big fancy explosion thing? Or is it just once in a while? It's a relationship. It's both. This is the exciting thing. You know, like... In, in, so, sometimes people talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit like something that happened like, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what about now? You know, it's like my wife, my relationship with my wife, you know, like, like oh, yeah, well, uh, how's it going with your relationship with your wife? Oh, it's great. Oh, I remember when we consummated our marriage in 83. It was fantastic. And people would be going like, What? That's ridiculous. If the relationship isn't going on now regularly, then there's a problem. And it takes a lot more than consummation. And I don't, sometimes I shouldn't go off script. <laughs> this gets me into trouble. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Stick to your notes, Pastor Bill. <sighs> Anyways. God wants a regular, exciting relationship with you. He wants to be filling you with His Spirit regularly, constantly, all the time. And sometimes all you need is a brushing of your teeth, you know, to get your teeth clean, right? If, I, if you said to me, well, uh, you know, uh, how's your oral health? Oh, well, yeah, in, in 2001, I, I got my teeth cleaned. Oh. Sheesh, you know, like... And uh, have you been brushing them? Well, no, I got them clean in 2001. I, uh, okay, well, that explains the smell, you know. And, and sometimes our relationship with God stinks. It stinks. It's based on something that happened 25 years ago, and there's nothing happening today. We need a daily encounter with the Holy Spirit. That daily encounter is just like brushing your teeth every day. Sorry to prolong the metaphor, but... It kind of works. You need to keep it up regularly. But also, you need to augment that regular, everyday relationship with God, praying, reading the Bible, studying the Word. You do that every day. That's like brushing your teeth. You need to augment that once in a while with that experience of God that is much greater, much deeper. That connection with the Holy Spirit where he empowers you to live victoriously, to live in defiance of those sins that bring you down, to live with the power of the Spirit so you can do ministry that God has called you to do. That has to happen regularly as well. That's like going to the dentist for your cleaning, you know, where they kind of get everything straight again, get it all fixed up all, all over again. And we need that regularly. Amen? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Oh my goodness, I got carried away. <laughs> Five things we need to do. First thing, Jesus, Jesus said, uh, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. It's desire. Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? As the scriptures say, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit on whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Are you desirous? Seek with all your heart. Deuteronomy says, uh, if you seek the Lord with all your God, with, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah says the same thing. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's this thirsting, this longing, this desire that has to be present. You know, I talked about the filling of my, my experience when I was 22, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many times I went forward in a Baptist, or I mean in a Pentecostal service to be filled with the Holy Spirit, had people lay their hands on me and pray that God would fill me? Many, many times. In fact, I think, you know, altar calls were designed for me. I just go always, you know, I just go forward. Why? Because I long for that. It was a desire in my heart. And I wanted the power. You know, I, I was attending an Alliance church. They talked about the filling of the Spirit all the time. And I wanted that. And I attended charismatic meetings. And I wanted that. But it didn't happen for quite some time. But it's desire. I want to call Ann Reyes up here a sec. I, I just was, was fascinated by her desire. She shared with me. Ann, are you here? Anna? Yes. I'm going to come to you to save time. Can we get this on? Um, Anna, tell me, 14 years ago, you shared with me that something happened in your apartment. What was happening every day up to that event? Asking the Holy Spirit to fill me with the, um, I mean, Lord Jesus, to fill me with the Holy Spirit, to empower me for the ministry. Amen. And when, when were you doing this? Me. What time of day were you doing this? Um, I get up every morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I have to set my uh, alarm clock, getting up early in the morning and pray. And how long did you do that for? Um, I was doing that every day, every morning, before I start my day. And at the end of the third month, something happened. What happened? Share what happened. Uh, it was very cold. All the windows were closed. But there's a wind around my living room. But I'm not afraid. And this wind starts hugging me around my neck, around my arms. And I just sat quietly. But I don't see anyone. And then someone, he's so close, so close to my face that he's touching my nose, is touching his nose. And I start, he start breathing on me, on my nose, and I start to breathe what he, what he breathes. And he, his lips is almost touching my lips. And I was in that position for about 10, almost 15 minutes. There was, there was no fear. And I know that it's the Holy Spirit. Amen. And all I could say during 
that time of encounter with the Holy Spirit, I want, I want, to, I want people to know you, mm. that you hear. Amen. And that's all. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And you know that that's exactly what God did in Anna. She started witnessing. She's, got, she's running an alpha course in her neighborhood. And, and she said to me just two days ago, she said, you know, I, I want to reach the children in my neighborhood too. What do I do? And I put her in, in touch with uh, CEF Canada, Child Evangelism Fellowship, so that some missionaries would come and, and do, do a Bible study in her backyard for the children. This is what I'm talking about. When the Holy Spirit touches us, boom, <laughs> we all of a sudden are wanting to share the gospel. So, you 30, 60, 100 fold. I was so thrilled last summer. One day, 45 kids prayed to receive Christ, and I got to do it. <laughs> well, I was in heaven. It was amazing. But that doesn't happen unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you have that desire? I got to get this. I got to win the nations for Christ. I need the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Bible says not only desire, but we need to ask. Uh, Jesus said, if, if the Father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will the, our, my heavenly Father give, good, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need to ask. We can't just go, well, I'm assuming that God will show up someday. And he'll get it done. Uh, we need to ask for it. Um, do you know that there has been 880 consecutive days of prayer meetings at this church? 880 days of prayer going on, asking for, for this church to be filled with power and authority. You know, in the last 10 days, there have been people meeting in the prayer room or in here, on their knees, praying, pleading with God, that he would send forth his Holy Spirit. They've been asking. You know, I, I went into, I've been in the, in the room, uh, I think, eight of the ten days. And uh, there's never been more, less than 12 people praying that the Holy Spirit would come and fill us. They're praying for us today right here in this service. They're praying for this service that God would fill us with his Holy Spirit. And I believe God wants to do that very thing. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Prayer is going up. But sometimes there's a blockage. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can't come. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can't come to a group. The Bible says that Jesus was unable to do many miracles because of their unbelief. Do you have unbelief in your heart? Maybe you're stopping the Holy Spirit from coming to this place. Certainly stopping him from coming into you. If there's sin in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. So on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching to the crowd, and they said, oh, what, what, what are we going to do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And you, you, will, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Do You know, when I was in Bible college, God wanted to fill my Bible college with his Holy Spirit. And I was a student body president. 
And I was standing in the way of the Holy Spirit coming and filling that school. And so God had come directly to me, pinpointed me. He said, you need to repent. <laughs> in no uncertain terms. Just boom, put a dagger through my heart and said, you need to repent. And I repented. And I wept. And that was the day I was filled with the Holy Spirit. God came down and changed me because God had shown me where I was wrong, where the sin in my life was keeping him from doing the work. And revival broke out that day. Fourthly, we need faith. Uh, the promise is for you. It's a promise. If you repent, God will give you his Holy Spirit. It's a promise. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. If God, if Jesus said, uh, my father will give the good gift of the Holy Spirit, then it's available. Whoever believes in me, John 7 says, out of him will flow rivers of water. It's available. We just need to ask. And finally, we need to go. We need to believe by faith that God has given us his Holy Spirit and then go out and do the work. And sometimes while we're doing the work, God comes in great power and uses us to do ministry. I remember um, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't burst out singing. I cried. I wept. And then that was it. I went home. But in this heart of mine, something happened. All of a sudden, I wanted to tell other people about what was going on inside me. And my 12 classmates were my first target. I did it five days later. Uh, I shared what had happened to me with my 12 classmates. And revival started in our school because of that. And I didn't know, I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I didn't know why I was so excited about sharing Christ with other people. I didn't know. And finally, later on, I figured out, oh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happened. And I used to be a very uh, poor public speaker. I didn't know how to do it. I was terrible at it. Got C's in it. I always got B's in all my classes, but public speaking C's. But then God filled me with his spirit, and I was able to do what I could not do before. And this is the power of God that he wants to pour out on Eastgate Alliance Church so that we can reach our community for Christ, so that we can reach our neighbors and our friends and our families for Jesus Christ. He wants to put that power in us. Um, and it's interesting. As the disciples went, it says that we, they could not help but speak what we have seen and heard. Before the day of Pentecost, they were all shut up in a room, afraid, locking the doors. After Pentecost, poof, they're running around. They couldn't help it. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? God wants to fill you. In Acts chapter 4, verse 8, um, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, said to rulers, address the rulers and elders of the people. Um, and in another time, Peter, uh, uh, he was preaching to uh, proconsul, and Bar Jesus was trying to stop the message. And Peter, or Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, You will be blind for a time. What was happening? They were involved in ministry, and suddenly they noticed the power of God. You see, God told me to share that message with my classmates. But what if I never went? What if I go, Oh, they're not going to listen to me? No, oh, I don't really want to do that. Nothing would have happened. The power of God would not have been revealed. 
but in obeying the command to go and in getting involved in the ministry, suddenly the power of God was released. And the power of God will be, be released if we have had a heartfelt connection with, the, with God and then his spirit is in us and we go and do some ministry, God will release his power. And the Holy Spirit will come on us afresh. Oh. I want to do this, okay? So I'd like to invite those who want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to come. Um, he will give you the leading of the Holy Spirit. He will give you power from his power for holiness, power for, for life. You know, Joseph was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he, he became a great manager. Daniel, same thing, filled with the Holy Spirit, became a great leader. So I'm going to have an altar call now, and I know we're running late, but I'm going to do it anyways because I believe God wants to fill his people. So if you would like the filling of the Holy Spirit, I'd like you to come forward and just kneel at the, the altar right now. Come on forward and ask, and we will get people to pray for you. So... They've been praying all week. There's only one person coming forward. Surely there are more who want the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, so come on up and be filled. And what I'm going to ask is I'm going to ask that those people who've been praying, uh, if you've prayed more than four days in the last 10 days for the filling of the Spirit to come on people in the prayer meeting, I want to ask you to come and pray for these people. I believe that God has been filling you up with his Holy Spirit to pass on to these people that are coming forward. So, and I'd like to ask the elders to come and the uh, uh, prayer uh, associates and the, uh, what do we call those people? Um, pastoral care associates, if you would come. And so please just spend a few minutes praying for people, um, more people. And now what I'd like the rest of you to do is I'd like you to pray for the power of God to come. This is not some hyper-emotional time. This is a time when we're seeking God. Uh, Peter, Marianne, could you guys come and pray for folks? I, I just would appreciate that. Um, others who can come. But come and pray for folks, please. Okay, go, go, do it in groups of two. <laughs> 